0: Chapter 10 of The Range Dwellers by B. M. Bower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. I shake hands with Old Man King. For the second time in my irresponsible career, I sit on the station platform at Osage and watch the train slide off to the east. It's a blame fool who never learns anything by experience, and I never have accused myself of being a fool, except at odd times so I didn't land broke. I had money to pay for several meals, and I looked around for somebody I knew. Frosty, I hoped. For the sodden land I had looked upon with such disgust, when first I had seen it, the range lay dimpled in all the enticement of spring. Where first I had seen dirty snowbanks, the green was bright as our lawn at home. The hilltops were lighter in shade, and the jagged line of hills in the far distance was a soft soft blue just stopping short of reddish purple i'm not the sort of human that goes wading to his chin in lights and shades and dim perspectives and names every tone he can think of especially mauve they do go it strong on mauve before he's through but i did lift my hat to that dimply green reach of prairie and thank god i was there I turned toward the hill that hid the town, and there came Frosty driving the same disreputable rig that had taken me first to the Bay State. I dropped my suitcase and gripped his hand almost before he had pulled up to the platform. Lord, but I was glad to see that thin brown face of his. Looks like we got to be afflicted with your presence another summer, he grinned. I hope you ain't going to claim I coaxed you back. "'Cause I took particular pains not to. "'And, of course, the boys are just dreading the sight of you. "'Where's your war bag, darn you?' "'How was that for a greeting? "'It suited me all right. "'I just thumped Frosty on the back "'and called him a name that it would make a lady faint to hear, "'and we laughed like a couple of fools. "'I'm not on oath, perhaps, "'but still I feel somehow bound to tell all the truth.' and not to pass myself off for a saint so i will say that frosty and i had a celebration that night an osage montana celebration with all the fixins know the brand because if you don't i'd hang before i would tell you just how many shots we put through ceilings or how we rent the atmosphere outside you see i was glad to get back and frosty was glad to have me back and since neither of us are the fall-on-your-neck-and-put-a-ring-on-your-finger kind, we had to exuberate some other way, and, as Frosty would put it, we sure did. I can't say we felt quite so exuberant next morning, but we were willing to take our medicine and started for the ranch all serene. I won't say a word about mauves and faint ambers and umbras, but I do want to give that country a good word as it looked that morning to me it was great there are plenty of places can put it all over that osage country for straight scenery but i never saw such a contented-looking place as that big prairie land was that morning i've seen it with the tears running down its face and pretty well draggled and seedy but when we started out with the sun shining against our cheeks and the hills looking so warm and lazy And the hollows kind of smiling to themselves over something, and the prairie dogs gossiping worse than a lady's self culture meeting. I tell you, it all looked good to me, and I told Frosty so. I'd rather be a forty dollar puncher in this man's land, I enthused, than a lily of the field somewhere in civilization. In other words, Frosty retorted sarcastically, you think you prefer the canned vegetables in contentment as the Bible says, to corn-fed beefsteak and homesickness thereby. But you wait till you get to the ranch and old Perry Potter puts you through your paces. You'll thank the Lord every sundown that you ain't a $40 man that has got to drill right along or get fired. You'll pat yourself on the back more than once that you got a cinch on your job and can lay off whenever you feel like it from all the signs and tokens us ragged h punchers be wise to trade our beds off for lanterns to ride by your dad's bought a lot more cattle and they've drifted like hell we got to cover mighty near the whole state of montana and part of south africa to gather him in you're a blamed pessimist i told him and you can't give me cold feet that easy if you knew how i ached to get a good horse under me Thought they had horses out your way, Frosty cut in. A range horse, you idiot, and a range saddle. I did ride some on a fancy gated steed with a saddle that resembled a porous plaster and stirrups like a lady's bracelet. It didn't fill the aching void a little bit. Well, maybe you won't feel any aching void out here, he said. But if you fall around up this season, you'll sure have plenty of other brands of ache. I told him I'd be right with them at the finish, and he needn't to worry any about me. Pretty soon, I'll show you how well I kept my word. We rode and rode and handed out our experiences to each other and got to Pochette's that night. I couldn't help remembering the last time I'd been over that trail and how rocky I felt about things. Frosty said he wasn't worried about that walk of his into Pochette's growing dim in his memory either. Well, then, we got to Pochette's. I think I have remarked the fact. And at Pochette's, just unharnessing his team, limped my friend of white divide, Old King. Funny how a man's viewpoint will change when there's a girl cached somewhere in the background. Not even the memory of Shylock's stiffening limbs could bring me to a mood for war. On the contrary, I felt more like rushing up and asking him how were all the folks, and when did Beryl expect to come home? but not Frosty. He drove phlegmatically up so that there was just comfortable space for a man to squeeze between our rig and King's, hopped out, and began unhooking the traces as if there wasn't a soul but us around. King was looping up the lines of his team, and he glared at us across the backs of his horses as if we were, well, caterpillars at a picnic, and he was a girl with nice clothes and a fellow and a set of nerves his next logical move would be to let out a squawk and faint i thought in which case i should have started in to do the comforting with a dipper of water from the pump he didn't faint though i walked around and let down the neck yoke and his eyes followed me with suspicion hello mr king i sang out in a brazen attempt to hypnotize him into the belief we were friends How's the world using you these days? Huh, grunted the unhypnotized one deep in his chest. Frosty straightened up and looked at me queerly. He said afterward that he couldn't make out whether I was trying to pull off a gunfight or had gone dippy. But I was only in the last throes of exuberance at being in the country at all. And I didn't give a damn what King thought. I'd made up my mind to be sociable, and that settled it. "'Range is looking fine,' I remarked, "'snapping the inside cheeks back into the hame rings. "'Stock come through the winter in good shape? "'Oh, I had my nerve right along with me. "'You go to hell,' advised King, "'bringing out each word fresh-coined and shiny with feeling. "'I was headed that way,' I smiled across at him. "'But at the last minute I gave Montana first choice, "'I knew you were still here, you see.' He let go the bridle of the horse he was about to lead away to the stable and limped around so that he stood within two feet of me. You want to, he began, and then his mouth stayed open and silent. I had reached out and got him by the hand and gave him my grip, the grip that made all the fellows quit offering their paws to me in Frisco. Put it there, king, I cried idiotically and as heartily as I knew how. Glad to see you. Dad's well, and busy as usual, and sends regards. How's your good health? He was squirming good and plenty by that time, and I let him go. I acted the fool, all right, and I don't tell it to have anyone think I was a smart young sprig. I'm just putting it out straight as it happened. Frosty stood back, and I noticed, out of the tail of my eye, that he was ready for trouble, and expecting it to come in bunches, and I didn't know myself, but what I was due for new ventilators in my system. But King never did a thing but stand and hold his hand and look at me. I couldn't even guess at what he thought. In half a minute or less, he got his horse by the bridle again, with his left hand, and went limping off ahead of us to the stable, saying things in his collar. "'You blasted fool!' Frosty muttered to me. "'You done it real pretty this time.' "'That old sow will cut your throat like as not "'to pay for all those insulting remarks and that handshake.' First time I ever insulted a man by shaking hands "'and telling him I was glad to see him,' I retorted. "'And I don't think it will be necessary "'for you to stand guard over my jugular tonight, either. "'That old boy will take a lot of time "'to study out the situation, if I'm any judge. "'You won't hear a peep out of him, "'and I'll bet money on it.' "'All right,' said Frosty, and his tone sounded dubious. But you, the first Ragged H-man, had ever walked up and shook hands with the old devil. Perry Potter himself wouldn't have the nerve. Now, that was a compliment, but I don't believe I took it just the way Frosty meant I should. I was proud as thunder to have him calling me a Ragged H-man, so unconsciously. It showed that he really thought of me simply as one of the boys. At the sun and air viewpoint... that had always rankled deep down where we bury unpleasant things in our memory had been utterly forgotten so the tribute to my nerve didn't go for anything beside that i was a ragged h man on the same footing as the rest of them it's silly owning it but it gave me a little tingle of pleasure to have one of dad's men call dad's son and heir a blasted fool i don't believe the lord made me an aristocrat We didn't see anything more of King till supper was called. At Pochette's you sit down to a long table covered with dark red mottled oilcloth and sprinkled with things to eat, and watch that your elbow doesn't cause your nearest neighbor to do the sword-swallowing act involuntarily and disastrously with his knife, or you don't eat. Frosty and I had walked down to the ferry crossing while we waited, and then were late getting into the game when we heard the summons. We went in and sat down, just as the Chinaman was handing thick cups of coffee around rather sloppily. From force of habit, I looked for my napkin, remembered that I was in a napkinless region, and glanced up to see if anyone had noticed. Just across from me, old King was pushing back his chair and getting stiffly upon his feet. He met my eyes squarely, friend or enemy, I like a man to do that, and scowled. "'Through already?' I reached for the sugar bowl. "'What's it to you, damn you?' he snapped. But we could see at a glance that King had not begun his meal. I looked at Frosty, and he seemed waiting for me to say something. So I said, "'Too bad. We ragged H-men are such mighty slow eaters. If it's on my account, sit right down and make yourself comfortable. I don't mind. I dare say I've eaten in worse company.' He went off growling, and I leaned back and stirred my coffee as leisurely as if I were killing time over a bit of crab in the palace, waiting for my order to come. Frosty, I observed, had also slowed down perceptibly, and so we toyed with the viands, just like a girl in a story. In real life, I've noticed, girls develop full-grown appetites and aren't ashamed of them. King went outside to wait, and I'm sure I hope he enjoyed it. I know we did. We drank three cups of coffee apiece, ate a platter of fried fish, and took plenty of time over the bones, got into an argument over who was Lazarus with the fellow at the end of the table, and were too engrossed to eat a mouthful while it lasted. We had the bad manners to pick our teeth thoroughly with the wooden toothpicks, and Frosty showed me how to balance a knife and fork on a toothpick, or perhaps it was two, on the edge of his cup, I tried it several times, but couldn't make it work. The others had finished long ago and were sitting around next to the wall watching us while they smoked. About that time, King put his head in at the door and looked at us. "'Just a minute!' I cheered him. Frosty began cracking his prune pits and eating the meats, and I went at it too. I don't like prune pits a little bit. The pits finished. Frosty looked anxiously around the table. There was nothing more except some butter that we hadn't the nerve to tackle single-handed, and some salt and a bottle of ketchup, and the toothpicks. We went at the toothpicks again until Frosty got a splinter stuck between his teeth and had a deuce of a time getting it out. "'I've heard,' he sighed when the splinter lay in his palm, "'that some state dinners last three or four hours. Lame to see how they work it. I'm through.' I'll lay down my hand right here, unless you're willing to tackle the ketchup. If you are, i stay with you, and I'll eat half. He sighed again when he promised. For answer, I pushed back my chair. Frosty smiled and followed me out. For the satisfaction of the righteous, I will say that we both suffered from indigestion that night, which, I suppose, was just and right. End of chapter 10 Recording by Tom Penn